0: Good morning. It is so good to be with you today. And it is a blessing for me to see you and to hear you today as we sang together and lifted up our voices together as one people. And we're glad for all those who are with us outside as well. We're glad that you're here and as we try to work through this together Trust in God and walk by faith. In Revelation chapter 19, when an angel of God told the apostle John to glorify God, and to glorify God because the land bride had made herself ready, ready for marriage. And John's immediate reaction was falling down at the feet of the angel. And to worship him. But as we're told in Revelation 19, the angel immediately forbid it. He said, Do not do that. And then went on to say and command him, worship God. Worship God. I want us to talk about that this morning. The Lord has sanctified the first day of the week as a holy day. A holy day for saints to gather together to proclaim the death of his Son, the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus, and to fellowship. And to fellowship together with one another in spiritual pursuits. All those Sundays have great spiritual significance. We worship not because. It's Sunday. Let me say that again. Although Sunday has great spiritual significance, we worship not just because it is Sunday. We are here. We assemble because of God. Because of God. Because of who He is. And so therefore our hearts need to be fixed Entirely on God right now. Our hearts need to be fixed on seeking to glorify our Creator, our Father, our Redeemer. Worship at its root. Worship at its root has a meaning that involves adoration. It involves reverence. It involves devotion. And everyone worships someone. Everybody worships something. Vain worship is when we forget God. So whatever we worship, if it's not God, it is vain worship. When the one true living God is not truly the subject and the object of our love, of our admiration, and of our fear. If God is not that to us, then it is idolatry. So therefore, worship God. The book of beginnings records for us that man began to call on the name of the Lord. And so we see here men convicted of who their creator was, sought to express reverence, sought to express praise to the one true living God. And so we read about how the sons of Adam offered sacrifices But then after the flood, Noah built an altar and offered burnt offerings of every clean bird and every clean animal. And you read a few more pages in Genesis. You come to chapter 12 and you read how Abram built altars as he traveled from place to place in the land that was promised to his descendants. And then you read later on about Jacob, a grandson of Abraham, who set up a pillar in where he had slept and dreamt of a ladder. A ladder ascending up to God, and then in turn he named that place House of God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, you can read and see that it says, By faith Jacob, by faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each to the sons of Joseph and worshipped, worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Knowledge of God ought to instill in every single human being. Knowledge of God should instill in us both desire and duty to worship the Creator. The Apostle Paul, as he was guided by the Spirit, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 And makes this critique of mankind when he says, For even though they knew God, even though they knew God, they did not honor Him. They did not honor Him as God. Nor give thanks, but they came futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Genuine acknowledgement of God. Genuine acknowledgement of God will wholeheartedly seek to communicate His greatness. Will wholeheartedly seek to communicate His goodness, His glory, while at the same time expressing one's own gratitude. I suggest to you that worship is a two-part equation. And that is, it can be expressed this way. One, worship God. Worship God or worship God. It involves two things. God in us. God is the subject. God is the object. We are the ones who engage in it. We are the ones who are to be actively placing ourselves in a situation, in, in a mindset to express our adoration, our admiration, our reverence, our devotion, everything to God. When men exchange and compromise God's truth, when we make compromises about God, what ends up happening is is that we end up worshiping whatever else we admire and whatever else we adore more. And in turn, what that is, is idolatry. It it becomes idols which we make of ourselves, and it doesn't have to be in the form of a statue. And so therefore, the angel, back in Revelation chapter 9, as he stops John from worshiping him, because he is not to be the object of anybody's worship, commands John the Apostle, worship God. Worship God. The true and living one. The creator of the universe. And so therefore we need to make sure ourselves that we are putting and keeping God in his rightful place in our worship. We're the ones have to make sure that we're doing that. No one else can do it for us. We have to make sure that we are worshiping God as we ought. I want to read through a number of examples where we see God being worshiped, God being glorified. And so we're going to read through some passages in the Bible, starting in Exodus, Exodus chapter 15. As we look here and find Moses and Israel singing to the Lord Almighty, because he has triumphed gloriously. And so this is after they have been delivered from their enemies, as God brought them through the walls of the Great Red Sea. And the Egyptian army drowned afterwards. And so then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for He is highly, he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider, He is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and soul. And He has become my salvation. This is mine." God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Like those Israelites of old, the people whom God delivered with his own hands from the Egyptians through bringing them across or through the Red Sea, we too need to acknowledge that God is majestic in power. Our worship needs to be expressing that. Our hearts need to be feeling that. That God is majestic in power. He is triumphed gloriously. He is great in excellence. Strength and salvation are in God. But not only are they in God, they are from God. Note how how they personalize this worship, this praise of God. As you look particularly in verse 2, when he says, The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my salvation. He is my God. When we worship, we need to be thinking that. We need to be knowing that and expressing that. What's sad when you read the entire chapter of Exodus 15 is that three days later now, and so they, they, have, they have praised God in this beautiful song. After experienced victory at God's hand, three days later, they lost sight of God. They lost their focus. They lost their vision. All because travel conditions became more difficult. They forgot who God is. And then you turn over to Exodus chapter 20. You come to Mount Sinai there as the law is being given and God is speaking to the people through Moses and you know what he says at the very beginning of those Ten Commandments. Verse 2, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness Of what is in heaven above, or on earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You should not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing loving kindness to thousands. To those who love me and keep my commandments. Here we have God stressing upon the nation that he alone is to be worshipped. And he is to be worshipped in the manner that he has decreed. God shares worship with no one. Nothing. He alone is to be worshipped. Israel's freedom, their deliverance, their salvation from Egyptian slavery was a testimony to them that there were no other gods. God defeated those gods. Those things were not really God's at all. Jehovah, the I Am, He is the same now as He was then. Just as Jonathan was introducing our assembly today, reminds us, in spite of our circumstances, God is the same. As time continued there will always be things that will rattle us and shake us and test us God is the same. And so the same God that spoke on Mount Sinai said, I am God, you shall have no other God, is still that God. His nature does not change. He is still the one who delivers from the house of slavery. He is God that delivers us from the bondage and the chains of our own sins. He is still the same God who shows loving kindness to those who obey who keep His Son's commandments. While at the same time, judges iniquity. That's the same God we serve. The covenant has changed. We're not living under the old covenant as we understand. We live under the new covenant in Christ. But the God has not changed. Worship God. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, as you go and very quickly glance at the occasion when the prophet is called by God into service to prophesy the message to God's people. A message of hope, but also a message of judgment. And you have a a beautiful vision depicted here and, and recorded for us to consider and you begin reading in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, verse one. In the year of King Isaiah's death, I—that is, Isaiah—saw the Lord. Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, and with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face; with two, covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out. While the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me. Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was shaken up. Isaiah was shaken up by what he saw. By what he was allowed to see in this vision of God sitting on an exalted throne in heaven. It shook him. It shook him so much that he looked in the mirror and he saw his true unholiness, his unworthiness, his uncleanness. The father-son fellowship, which the almighty eternal one desires to have with us and makes possible for you and I to have with him. That father-son relationship is not to be equated with earthly father-son it is not the same. It is so much above us. It's so much more than that. It's so much greater than that. And Isaiah understood the, the significance of seeing God in heaven on the throne. It is shook I ruined, he felt like. And yet what, what is shown us is here heavenly beings surrounding God's throne, what do they do? They're acknowledging God's exalted nature. They're acknowledging God's glory, God's greatness, and they're doing that how? They're doing it with their words, and they're doing it with their bodily expressions. The seraphim, as they praised God as saying, holy, 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 rose, at the same time covered their eyes and covered their feet. And the kind of God that we worship. Worship is not about bringing God down to our level. That is not what worship is about.
1: Worship is all
0: about lifting up God in our hearts. Lifting up God in our minds, in our words. Why? Because He is the most holy one. He is the holiest of holy one. And yet He's mindful. Mindful of me. And he provides a way, like he did for Isaiah when the angel came with a burning coal and touched those unclean lips and said, Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. God does the same thing for us through Jesus Christ. This holiest of holy life. Mindful of us, providing a way for our sins to be cleansed and our sins to be forgiven. But don't forget where he is. Don't forget who he is. In Daniel chapter chapter 7, we have Daniel describing to us the Ancient of Days. And here he is ruling from a fiery throne as Daniel was shown the rise and fall of future kingdoms and kings on earth. Verse 9, it says, I kept looking until thrones were set up. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. That's Jehovah. That's God. The ancient of days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames and his wheels were burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from beneath him. And thousands upon thousands were attending to him. Myriads and myriads were standing before him courts sat and the books broke. In pure radiance, God from his throne judges. And all of the thrones pale in comparison to the throne of the ancient one. The ancient of days here. And it's interesting to, to, to see this imagery when he says thousands and thousands attend to the one who sits on the throne. And myriads and myriads stand before that throne. The word myriad literally means 10,000. Or it may just be a description of an enormous number that's indefinite. But he says it's myriads and myriads standing before God. What does that imply about us? But what our reaction ought to be, that who most of all should we be attending to, Are we constantly standing before our God, ready to render what is His due, to carry out His purpose and His mission? Time appears to be in this heavenly scene inconsequential. This is is heaven, where things from everlasting to everlasting. Time is inconsequential. It is irrelevant. But here is God. We can't end our lesson without turning to Revelation. As you turn to the fourth chapter, and once again you see God on a throne, worshipped by all who surround Him in heaven. Why? Because He is an awesome God. And so you begin reading there in verse 2, when He says, Immediately I was in the Spirit. That is John the Apostle. He was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven. And one was sitting on the throne. He who was sitting was like jasper stone and sardius in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, like like an emerald in appearance. And the throne, and around the throne, are twenty-four thrones. And upon the thrones, I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments, and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne, came flashes of lightning. And sounds of peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass like crystal. And in the center around the throne four living creatures. Full of eyes in front and behind. Verse 8. And the four living creatures. Each one of them having six wings. And are full of eyes around with, And day and night they do not cease to say. Oh. Oh. The Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor, they can thank Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever. And then the 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and will cast their crowns before the throne. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor Power for you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. Beauty and power emanate from God. Our universe is an amazing universe. It is His handiwork. But there is no comparison. There's no comparison to what we will see when we're in heaven. Hmm. Expressions like unapproachable light we consuming fire other descriptions of the immense glory and power of God. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of your worship. He is worthy of my worship. He created. Therefore we exist. Glory, honor, and power belong to Him. So do we fall down before Him like we should? Are we casting down before His throne our treasures and our trophies like we should? That's what you see being done by those who are heavenly beings. Recognizing who God is. In Revelation 19, as we bring this lesson to a close, we find worship of God is an occasion... We're coming together and joining hearts and voices to sing hallelujah to Him. In verse 1, after these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Say, hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Because His judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality; he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And so, a second time they said, "Hallelujah!" Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne, saying, "Amen, Hallelujah!" And a voice came from the throne saying, "Give praise." Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. And then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. God is just. And he is just when he executes in his time judgments against sin and against evil. God is righteous and just and true in all that he does. But with that same power, he avenges his bondservants on behalf of their salvation. And so, therefore, the command is praise God. Always praise the Almighty, for he reigns in righteousness. Worshipping God is not about our pleasure. Worshipping God is not about our conveniences. It's not about our comforts. It's all about God. It needs to be centered on God. It needs to revolve around God. And so therefore we ought to humbly and joyfully acknowledge who He is. Not only who He is, but also what He has done. Done in the universe but also what he's done for us, for you and me. And we also need to ask what he has said that pleases him. A believer who recognizes, like Isaiah, how fiercely bankrupt he is when he comes before the most holy God of the universe. When a believer truly sees himself in the light of God, Genuinely, honestly, and openly will simply ask, What must I do to be saved? And whatever God says, He'll do it. He'll do it. Why? Because He is God. If you're here today, and you're not a Christian, and your sin is separating you from God right now, and you stay in that condition, you'll be lost each. But God provided a way that we can be cleansed, that we can be washed of our sins and come into fellowship with Him and join the heavenly host one day to praise Him in all of the glory and power. If we need to you any way this morning to call upon the Lord in obedience, being buried with in baptism, or to, as a child of God, to return to Him, Seek his grace and his mercy by confessing sin and praying to him. We assist you anyway this morning. We invite you, and encourage you. Please come now. Always stand and sing the invitation song.